All right, I'll get us rolling here. Uh, yeah. All right. Hey, everyone out there in the digital audio world. Jeff and I are back with a special episode of Kendall vs. Kendall, presented by Jensen USA. This podcast is all about pulling back the curtain on bike-related things that drift through our brain. And today, we pull that curtain back even further. We're stoked to be joined by Aaron Kersen, founder and owner of PNW Components. If you're new to the podcast, let's do some introductions. I'm Seth Kendall, a veteran employee of Jensen USA and recent uh, entrance into the PNW world, uh, living in Hood River, Oregon now. Welcome back, Seth. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I'm actually coming home. So, uh, and then I'm actually joined by my more impressive alternate universe self, Jeff Kendallweed. Uh, he's an equal veteran of the bike world, but on a little bit of a different side. And he's actually a PNW Components athlete. So we're pretty stoked about having uh, Aaron here from PNW Components and having Jeff here to uh, have him actually in-house with Jeff uh, recording with them on that end of things. So Woo! Yeah, I got Aaron Kirsten here in the studio. Dude, Welcome. thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be in Bellingham. Cool. Uh, yeah, if it were up to me, we'd be up here, but... Got family obligations and whatnot. Yeah. In but I mean, Seattle's awesome. You've got a great situation down it's in Seattle. Good. It's good for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, love Bellingham. Sweet. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's not, it's not too far of a drive. I mean, it's, it's fairly close. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, no traffic hour and 15. So it's, it's no biggie. Nice, no nice. So, yeah, that's good. Well, awesome. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, you know, we like to kick things off with a quick check-in of what's been going on in life. Uh, you want to get us started with what's going on with you? I've been pinned. I got this new Ibis DV9 hardtail in on uh, just last week after shooting a big video in Durango and then rode it for a couple days, made a super fun intro video and rode it more over the week, more than I thought I would. I really like it. And I just started shooting some tutorial videos on how to ride like me, I guess you could say, and you can find those up on my Patreon page. It'll be one new tutorial video a month starting in October. So nice. that's what's new with me. Sweet. What's new with you, Aaron? What do you have going on? Man, so I think like exactly a week ago, we were getting on a plane back from Taiwan. Yeah, so EVA Airlines. Yep, EVA, yep, yep <laughs> direct, to, uh, direct to Seattle. Um, yeah, uh, we're at the Taichung Bike Week is what cool. it's called. So cool thing with that is it's mainly an OEM show. So mainly mm -hmm. like product developers, product managers from bike brands are there meeting. It's kind of like a trade show. So you're meeting kind of like suppliers. It is a trade show. <laughs> but what's nice is you can then break away. Like we toured yeah. our factory and got to meet there. And um, we have some really cool projects coming up. Cool. Which I'm stoked on. We all we can talk more about it. But um, yeah, it was a really good week. Have you been good. back on your bike since you got off the airplane? So we rode, yeah, we rode Raging River twice. Cool. Since we've been back. Um, that was earlier in the week and now I'm feeling fat again, but you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Jet lag's gone and, uh, I'm stoked to ride tomorrow at least. Sweet. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was good. It was, we were supposed to go to Japan as well, but, uh, what is it called? Typhoon Trammy came in. And so basically that was a big hurricane right between Taiwan and Japan. And so flight was canceled. So oh. we went home three days early. Oh man. But Taiwan was good. Glad you're safe, though. Yeah. Yeah, no, it worked out <laughs> fine. I mean, everyone had to deal with it. It's just our flight from Tokyo back on Monday had already been proactively canceled by Delta. So they're like, all right, we're going to give you a one-time exemption. Like, you can cancel it or reschedule with no fee. Sweet. So we headed home. Cool. So anyway, I'm a bit of a homebody, so it's nice to be home. <laughs> well, here in the Northwest, who wouldn't be stoked to be home? Yeah, and this is like the <laughs> tail end of like the sun. So yeah. So it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. 
Well, Seth, Mr. Cougar Bait, what do you have going on at home? Oh, man, yeah. So, obviously, cougars. Um, and I'm not talking about the, like, uh, slang type where it's old women preying on young, young dudes. Not that type. We're talking actual mountain lions. Um, we've been having reports of them literally sighted on our street, and our street is less than probably a half mile long total. Um, and so... Kind of, kind of crazy. Um, we've had a few sightings around town as well as out on the trails, and so got me a little freaked out just because uh, you know the last place I was riding there was nothing. There was deer and like the occasional beaver, but I, I've yet to be attacked by a beaver, so I'm feeling pretty safe. So you about had that. beaver, and now you've got cougar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I I went for one night ride the other night with a buddy, and even then, like, oh man, it was kind of intense. Um, and I've been riding a little less because uh, I'm always trying to ride, but most of my buddies can't dip out at the same time as me. So I'm feeling a little bit of what you're feeling, Aaron, where I'm a little bit fat in the tummy right now just because uh, I haven't been on my bike for almost a week. And so just feeling a little lazy and slow. And unfortunately, we are actually getting hit pretty hard with rain right now. Hoping it dries out for Sunday, though. So yeah, yeah. I think you just need yeah. to bring a little catnip with you, throw it out. Mount Lionel Deck. <laughs> oh nope, I'd rather have that. So. Yeah, I guess that, that's probably that. as good as anything. Because I was like, man, bear spray. Do I bring that? But I, I kind of just thought that by the time I actually get to it, that cat's gonna be all over me if yeah. he wants me. So yeah. I don't really know what to do. Yeah, but catnip seems reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Follow those yeah. Well, sweet. Well, Aaron's actually our first guest on the Kendall vs. Kendall podcast, so Woo. this is pretty cool. We're, we're growing the show. This is rad. And the bar starts really low, so this is good. <laughs> so it's all uphill. It's all good from here. So yeah. Let's, uh... You're going to do great, Aaron. <laughs> well, Seth, do you want to get us started with some questions for Aaron? Yeah, let's get going on that. Um, and it's kind of cool. This is actually going to be the first time that we are actually videoing what we're doing here. And this uh, is going to be broadcast, right? I can't so promise that everyone will get video because that increases the workflow tremendously. But it'll be interesting to see how it's received and, you know, uh, how long it... I'll have our, our producer Colby here edit it up. Hopefully it's not too much of a beast to get online. So yeah, exciting. exciting. Yeah. And everyone knows how stoked Jeff is in all of his videos, right? Like that's part of the thing. He's always just so amped up. And so maybe I'm going to do my best to, to be in all of that too. Like. <laughs> oh, just, just be yourself. That's all you got to do. You'll do great. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Well, Aaron, I'm stoked to have you on for our, our podcast today. Um, no, thank and you guys. I carry a lot of PNW pride myself as far as uh, living in the area and uh, growing up here and everything. Um, you know, obviously... Uh, having a brand with the name PNW in it uh, carries some some burden with it, you know, just because there's so much pride in the in the Northwest here. So um, curious, like, what was your inspiration for the brand? Um, and kind of, you know, where'd you derive the name besides just location? Sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of going back. Uh, so Emily and I both founded PNW Components. So uh, Emily's, Emily, sorry. So Emily is my wife. We okay. co-founded it together and we work on it day in and day out together. Uh, so we're the, the two full-time folks behind it. So she also has bike industry experience. I did as well. And cool. so she, you know, started her journey at Mike's bikes down in, oh, okay. uh, you know, 13 store chain down the Bay area. Yeah. 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 Uh, so she was working there. <clears throat> Which then, location? Uh, so she was in the Willow Glen. Okay. So San Jose area. Cool. Um, yeah. So she was working there in sales and then uh, at the same time I was at Specialized Development Bikes there. Okay. Um, we decided to make the move back up to Napa, which is where my parents were. 
uh, and I started working at Marin. So, so that's when you made the change over to Marin Bikes. When yeah, you, okay. yeah. So ended up there. Um, what year is this? This was 2013. Okay. So Specialized started in 2011. Uh, maybe it was 2014 I was at Marin. I can't really remember, but sometime around then. Uh, cool. Time flies. Uh, so I ended up there uh, basically in charge of their mountain bike product development. So I was the product manager for MTB. Uh, later, uh, basically Emily was doing freelance photography okay. and graphic design. Um, and then she ended up in marketing at Marin. So we both were Sweet. able to commute and oh, nice. sit in traffic together and bring our dog, which was <laughs> rad. So, uh, that worked out well. And then unfortunately we had a pretty bad, uh, family health issue. Mm -hmm. So we had to stop what we were doing, uh, move up here and, uh, I couldn't travel anymore because we had to be around. So okay. I had to leave Marin, which gotcha. is a bummer. But I uh, still have a lot of good buddies there and uh, basically short-lived. But So when did you leave Marin Bikes? So we came up here March of 2015. Okay, and so Emily's you had like a, just over a year at Marin. Not very long at all. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, this happened <laughs> must quick, have been man. tough. No, it was, yeah, it was a bummer. But um, basically, you know, Emily's from Seattle, mm -hmm. born and raised. All her family's up here. So uh, came back up, up to be around the family and... Uh, Really missed the bike world. Had a ton of great connections through, you know, manufacturing bike products and getting stuff made. Um, so I started reconnecting with them. Um, at the time, I was totally out of the bike industry. Emily was still working remotely at Marin because oh, she didn't have okay. to travel, which was cool. Cool. Um, so yeah, we just kind of started talking. We're like, you know what? There is a huge gap in the market for really high quality products that are affordably priced, mm -hmm. but are marketed in a way and like basically creating a sense of community that isn't just focused on like super, super high-end elite level racing. And, you know, coming from a brand like Specialized where everything's about like Tour de France, about World Cup cross country, World Cup downhill, whatever it may be, um, they do a really good job at doing that, but that's not who I am and that's not who a lot of riders are, right? Sure. Like you may not have any aspiration to race, but you still want to know you have good stuff. So that's where, that's kind of where we got things going. And since then brands evolved, you know, we have higher end products, we have higher quality stuff. It just keeps going up and up, but our prices are able to maintain at affordable rate. So that's, nice. uh, still keeping our promise to customers, but, um, building more of a sense of community around that and the local riding scene. Like we've done some cool stuff. We're getting involved a lot with the high school race leagues and getting cool. them sponsored. And yeah, it's been that's cool. Nice. It's been very cool. So that's kind of the short, long story, I guess you could say, Is but this really still just you and Emily. So it's Emily and I doing it full time, and then we've got an engineer. Um, we have product help that we pull in. We have a little bit of social media help, um, more for like setting up. You know how Facebook is; it's kind of complicated. Oh getting my goodness! Your content out there, so we have someone who helps with that. But still, <laughs> Emily's like creating the ads and okay. um, doing anything that's marketing or branding related. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's been good. So yeah, it's a small team, but. Small family team. Small family team, and we're able to get a lot done, which is cool. You could say it's a mom um, and pop operation, but you guys don't have kids yet. Well, we have a dog, so you know it's kind of close, <laughs> but not really close at all. But yeah, it's a, it, uh, that almost counts, but not quite. <laughs> not quite the same. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's the that's where we're at now. But yeah, we have some big plans for this coming year. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. I like it. So, um, where is PNW based specifically? Yeah. So we're in Seattle, right in the heart of Seattle. Yeah, and so actually, uh, we work out of a home office, and then every everyone else we work with is remote. Um, gives them a ton of flexibility to stay happy, do whatever you like doing during the day, as long as the work's getting done. We don't care. Like, and in this day and work. age of Seattle real estate pricing, I think that's the only way to do it. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, you talk about low prices. Like having a fancy office in Seattle would not keep that promise. No. So it's not worth it. Yeah, <laughs> not worth it. 
Yeah. No, I feel your pain moving from the Midwest back here. We had just just in the home market, we were just like, oh, heart palpitations. We don't want to spend that much. <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal. It's, it's hard to argue with the area, though. Um, so, okay, obviously Seattle has some, there's some great trails around there. You guys have some amazing riding and stuff. Um, let's go through some kind of background information on kind of who you are before we don't jump too far more into, uh, PNW as a company. Um, what's your favorite type of riding? Favorite type is, uh, you know, my background is in, um, BMX racing is what I grew up doing. And then got Napa Valley BMX Napa at BMX Donnie track. Robinson. Donnie Robinson. Exactly. Yeah. That's our local pro. So, um, grew up in that whole scene, uh, yeah. and then started to shift over into mountain bikes, but still, still always rode a hardtail and okay. like started to do a little bit of downhill when I was younger, but mainly it was dirt jumping. Like that's cool. all I was doing, uh, up until I was about, I don't know, sometime in high school, I started to get the mountain bike bugs, started to go to North Star, okay. riding the trails there. And then through college, I uh, really started to race quite a bit more. Uh, Where did you go to school again? So Sierra Nevada College. Where's that? It's in Tahoe, right in the Incline Village. There's so a school there? It's a four-year school. <laughs> um, liberal Arts College, got okay. a business degree there. It's tiny. I mean, my, the whole school when I was there, I think it was like 450 kids. Wow. But they have dorms. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a really nice school. And that really was the draw is like, it's in Tahoe. I can ride still. They'll help me out with my racing. Like they, you know, paid for my travel and stuff like that. Uh, so that was huge. That cool. was really the big draw. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah. Grew up, you know, Bay area and mm -hmm. was riding bikes. And then, yeah, it's really gotten to trail riding, which is what I've been doing most frequently. I got into that more like 20, uh, let's see, like around 2010. Okay. So I was okay. pretty late to the game. Well, I mean, you I were at the, the Infineon race where we first met. That must have been 2006 or seven. That would have been 05. So 05. I broke, broke my back <laughs> earlier that year, like in May. But then that was like end of the season, if I remember. Yeah, that was, like was the last race. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Wait, was is, this, is this the race where Jeff was racing on a cracked frame? Yes. Yeah, spray painted orange demo eight demo bike. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I think we need to to actually delve into this oh, a little man. bit, right? Like I read up on it. Yeah, because you remember it way better than I do. <laughs> I just remember it because it was just it was somewhat bizarre, and I was like, wow. Okay, so we are at the Infineon race, which was um, located in the Bay Area. Yeah, technically Sonoma. in Norba. Yeah, it's in Sonoma. It's technically a Norba, a Norba race. They had a downhill race, but it was more kind of like they carved <laughs> a trail out of a hill. Like it yeah. was, it was what it was. Anyway, cruising down, I get kind of towards the finish. It's practice, and dude comes flying by finish line, and then they were doing like shuttles up, right? So you get into the back of a truck and they drive you up. So we're waiting in line, and I don't know. We get to chatting. We're on the same age, I guess, and chatting and look at your frame and there's some like electrical tape or duct tape wrapped around the rib cage kind of near the rear shock. I didn't even want to see it. I didn't want to think about it. It wasn't <laughs> going to change if it was broken or not, but that tape would at least hide it. So I wouldn't have to. It did. It. it did. I was like, so I'm looking, I'm like, what, what's going on here? You're like, Oh dude, my frame's completely cracked. And you're, you press yeah. on the bottom bracket with your foot and the whole frame, like it just spreads apart. And I was like, you're racing on this. <laughs> Like, yeah, dude, it's all good. Like, I'm just here to have fun. I like, think that's it was actually stronger after it broke. I think there was like the way they engineered that <laughs> it thing, it was too rigid. It could have been. And it. I think that forged piece was just like once it broke, then it could have the flex it needed and then you would actually be okay. But it could be before it could flex. It was just a super rigid tuning fork of a, yeah, it was better after it broke to be honest. Well, that's good. So you got a little, uh, a little compliance in there. Yeah. That's and it good. wasn't like You're it was sketchy and dangerous. Those tubes all no. around it were massive. So yeah. no, there's no way that frame is going to break in half. It just was like. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. This is awesome. So I don't know, for some reason that stuck out in my head and Sweet. then fast forward, here we are. So, um, no, pretty cool. That was a, that was an interesting, interesting race. How'd your race go that weekend? It was horrible. I had, yeah, I broke my back a few months before and hadn't been riding and then oh. I was way off the back. Yeah. I'm sure I must've been last place oh. by far, but it was fun. You know, that's nice. kind of how it goes. And actually after that, I think that might've been my last like serious race, like I'll race Sea Otter here and there, but okay. I think that was the last one where I was like, you know what, maybe just riding is good enough. And you were ahead of the fun. curve on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe it's fun to just kind of mess around and do jumps and yeah. trail ride or whatever. And Did you uh, race the collegiate series at all with that Tahoe yeah. school? Okay. Yeah, 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 we did. Did you go to the Sky Tavern race by chance? No, yeah. I never made it to the Sky okay. Tavern. So Seth, are you familiar with the West Coast Collegiate Conference? A little bit. Yeah, it's pretty big. Like a lot of the people I know in the industry, I first met from the collegiate racing days. So I'm surprised I don't remember Aaron from the collegiate scene, but like Mm -hmm. here's yet another West Coast collegiate conference, former racer who's now in the industry. There's a ton of us. And so like, I went to Cal Poly slow. We had a huge team. Chico State had a massive team with lots of those folks making an industry. UNR and Reno, they had a big team. Cal Poly Pomona had a big team. San Diego. Shout out to Eddie McDonald. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Shredward McDiesel. (laughs) That's right. UCSC had a team. I mean, Humboldt State had a real big team. Yeah. Allie Osgood is, I think she was on that for a long time. And now she, I think she won the a oh. national women's downhill title. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. National. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah, there's so a lot of good writers. It's crazy, but no one like outside of the college years really talks about this collegiate scene, but it's massive on the West. It's all over the country, but the West coast one is real strong and it's like a massive geographical area, but a pretty tight knit group. And everyone just has to drive a long ways to get to each yeah. other's races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the slow race. Uh, where was that at? It was Parkfield. Parkfield. You end up camping, and uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's such a fun like festival, <laughs> and then everyone's like, you know, hurting the next day. And oh trying my to goodness! Race, and you're just like, oh god, <laughs> this is dangerous, but still yeah. fun. But um, yeah, no, we did that. I, I mean, I was a team of one at my school. No one else raised. Okay. But, um, yeah, I was. I like every every like I was the president and the secretary. You know, it was, <laughs> It's kind of like that. It's a small school, man. <laughs> but it got me to the races. You were so. also a legend because of it. I mean, yeah, I was like, signing look my, at our racer. He's amazing. Signing my own arm, you know, as an autograph. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a <laughs> team of one. But anyway, yeah, no, that was a, a good start. Yeah, I run into Sweet. people all the time that I remember from races that are like working at bike brands now. Oh, and, totally. Yeah. That's rad. I think yeah. about like marketing managers that specialize to this day were friends of Still. mine from, yeah, from the race from the yeah, yeah. West Coast days. But anyhow, enough about that. Seth, there's a couple other great questions here for, for Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously uh, you got your start in kind of BMX stuff, but you're kind of more into the trail riding stuff. Do you have a favorite bike at this time? Yeah, man. I uh, So I'm currently on a uh, Evil Following MB. So it's shorter travel, sick bike, super sick. Um, but I'm just going to be upgrading here soon to the offering. So that's their 140, uh, yeah. I'm gonna throw 150 up front just for, you know, the, the following is an incredible bike for what it is. Like you don't notice that it only has 120 millimeters of travel, but like if you're really thrashing through like, yeah. you know, predator or something yeah. like a double black or something like you get, your back starts hurting. How uh, much, how long's the fork on that bike? 130 up front. Okay. 29 or something. Yeah, yeah. And I've got the pretty big tires. That's so, like I mean, my old Ripley LS then. Yeah. I mean, it's really not that bad, but there are times where I'm like, eh, I could use a little extra travel. So I think the offering will be pretty dialed. Cool. So I'm stoked on that. This is my first 29er. Okay. I fought that very hard. <laughs> um, but being, you know, I'm six foot two, it doesn't feel that awkward. I was surprised. Like the transition really wasn't that bad, but jumping, you know, like up on Mohawk, it feels a little 
like that you can feel the bigger wheel. Yeah, it's harder to get it into the pockets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it feels different. Yeah. So there's a little bit of body English that comes with 29ers, and yeah. you know Jeff yeah. and I have talked about this a little bit. I actually I'm on the shorter side. I'm five nine, and yeah. I fought the 29er thing so yeah. hard. <laughs> but man, once I kind of figured out the, the body English, they're actually in some ways it's like a more visceral riding experience for me because I have to throw the bike around or I have to like pop a little differently. And so I actually find that I really like the wagon wheel over the smaller wheels. And with that being said, if I were buying like a downhill bike or park bike, I think I would still go smaller, but man, I really like my 29er. So I'm actually on a ripmo right now and that offering looks luscious. Sick. So good. Yeah. I've got, well, go ahead. Well, I saw a great thing on, on pink bike. So uh, Seth Jensen's an evil dealer, right? Yes. Yeah. So I saw this great thing that uh, and Pink Bike that Evil should offer a 26 inch wheel bike and call it the commenting. <laughs> awesome. They could sell tens of bikes that they way. Sell, <laughs> we'll do tens of, of these. It's a new bonus. Um, yes, that would definitely get some comments. Yeah, I mean, so outside of that, I've got a YT twos. Oh, I don't know how you pronounce that. So yeah. that's for the bike park. Okay. Know, Whistler Stevens. 26 or 27.5? 27.5. Okay. Um, that bike's sick. Nice. I've had it for a few years. I think they're first gen and it's like, I usually am kind of flip bikes over just to yeah. stay current or whatever, but I haven't touched that thing and it's red. Is so there a fine. bachelor 170 dropper post on it? So I had a cascade on there for a bit and I was like, <laughs> why am I doing this? What am I trying to prove here? Cause it wasn't, it didn't help it. You know, like you're literally going from the lift. Yeah. This is extra weight. Yeah. So I got rid of it. You know, the only time I've seen a dropper work on uh downhill bikes is the Fontana races. Oh gosh. Yeah, dude. Well you got that <laughs> climb. That whole flat section along the fence. Yeah. And so I literally watched buddies who would put on dropper posts because they knew they could win it across that pedal section there. Well, I mean like, that's such a long section that you can make up seconds there. And it's unfortunate because yeah. you'd like to think it's in the technical stuff, but it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. the flats. <laughs> Those guys run a great program. Yeah, like, it's that it's Team Big Bear that still runs the Fontana races, right? I mean, it was. Um, man, I don't know. It's actually, I think it's moved on to. Um, man, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Yep, gonna fail yeah, to remember. I've been gone. I haven't too been long. down to one of those in yeah almost ten years. And yeah. I, the Big Bear guys were all super nice and super organized and super dialed, and they were just like, "You come back to the next one." And I just was like, "Guys, I'm never coming back again." I'm, you're really nice. You run a great program. I'll see you at Sea Otter. High fives there. Yep. But I can't race this place anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, the good thing about it though is it serves uh, uh, like a kind of critical area oh totally yeah Yeah. southern california man we have some amazing trails but it's hard to kind of isolate a community around trails whereas like slow and stuff i mean you guys have just heaps of trails in that area that are really close to town and stuff and so this one yeah you know honestly the course is uh, but what's okay. really frustrating is you're on this course, but then you look out around and there's these huge mountains that surround the valley, but you're like on this little hill in the center of the valley. It's like, <laughs> but what about those over there? And then we did the box springs enduro and that was a pretty legit seven minute like downhill course, like not like gnarly, but it was down a, down a real more, much more of a hill. So, yep. yep. Yeah. And that's like our backyard. And, but even that, like getting that trail actually legitimately opened again and able to be used for that was like a whole thing in politics and it's been messy and whatever. And it's like, it's getting better, 
but man, like the Inland Empire, that whole area has had its moments of struggling with the idea of adding trails to hills and stuff. So, um, it's, it's a bit of a rough thing, but I'm, I'm thankful for the Fontana races for that. Um, it's, you know, lots of kind of cool people have come out of that and used it as a training ground to kind of get into the scene of downhill racing and everything. So, you know, I mean, Aaron Gwynn being one of them. So no, I mean that, yeah. And it's such a, it's, it's, it's cool. Cause it's such a big community there. Like it brings everyone from, like you said, there's not like one, it's not like, oh, there's Bellingham and like tons of people here ride and people come here to ride and it's a destination. Like for there, it pulls everyone from Southern California and even Northern. Yeah. And they're there for a race. Like that's what's the same thing with Sea Otter, right? The like, community aspect of it's really cool. The community aspect's huge. Same with Sea Otter. Like that yeah. part's fun. Um, but yeah, there's better riding, I'm sure. But is what it is. Yeah. Is what it is. But um, anyhow, we're here yeah. to talk about PNW yeah, yeah. components. <laughs> <laughs> Side pipe. We'll, we'll run through a few more here. Uh, favorite trail? I've been really loving our local stuff. So Raging River is rad. Cool. So I've been riding just the front part. So you just, it's like nice after work, a lunch spot where you can just ride up to Pop and Tops. And that's basically a flow trail all okay. the way down. It's sick. I don't cool. think we rode that when we were there. It wasn't open yet. It's, uh, it's very cool. So it's, uh, yeah, it's on the front side. So I've been just, yeah, we, we loop that quite a bit. It's got some jumps and some berms and stuff. And then, nice. uh, tiger, I always love that. We have a new trail called, uh, no TG. Huh? So you ride up to the top. Well, not the very top, but like where you drop in. Yeah. The upper section, like up near predator. Um, and it's, it goes the other way. So it drops huh. down the Eastern side of the mountain and then it loops in and then you can actually get on a fire road and then go ride predator. So you cool. get like two black trails. Kind of like a figure eight loop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. So that's been really fun. And that's, um, it's cool. So it's only, if you do both of those trails, it's like a 7.7 mile ride, Okay, but you're getting like 2,300 feet of climbing in. So nice. it's pretty, pretty steep, cool. which is good, but that's been really fun. Um, there's a lot of great riding in Issaquah right there dude there's so much so like our, our local spots Tokel yeah because um, you can ride there no matter what the weather's doing stays good cool. so um, we ride there quite a bit and then um, then come up here I guess because it's usually pretty good through the winter yeah. so you guys get snow it's I mean it's Seattle not like Squamish that's all we can say yeah <laughs> right in the middle exactly <laughs> so yeah it gets a little uh gets a little soupy but not so bad cool yeah when we were uh, shopping jobs for my wife uh, this last year, uh, she, you know, put the Pacific Northwest on. She was like, where do you want to live? And I was like, well, pretty much anywhere from Portland all the way to Bellingham. I was like nice. just lining it up with trails yep. along the whole like western Dude, It's corner. really like, Ashland to Bellingham. I mean, holy cow. No, we're yeah, spoiled. So I, I love Ashland and it's great, but for for my family and, and like yeah. kind of location to everyone, it was not going to make our list, unfortunately. Okay. Um, great to visit. And I'm mm-hmm. glad I live close enough to make that happen because amazing riding. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we were looking a little more Northern and trying to get close to family and all that. So yeah. No, I mean, cool. Aaron, yeah. Uh, how about favorite beverage? We know Jeff is into kombuchas. I am trying this IPA thing. I'm struggling a little bit right <laughs> now, but working on it. Yep. Uh, what's, what's your thing? Um, let's see. So I enjoy kombuchas here and there for sure. Uh, I drink a ton of water, but outside of that, so I, I, I doubt you care about that. So alcoholic beverages. Yeah. I, uh, I do enjoy some IPAs. I'm not, I don't drink a ton, but I do like IPAs for sure. Um, we've got just in our neighborhood, I think there's like eight breweries, wow. maybe 10. So it's crazy. And there's this one called stoop that makes super good. Like their thing is IPA and they, 
seems like every time we go there, they have a new one, new like three new ones that they're trying out, and then they've got like their staples. So they'll nice. have like six different IPAs on top at any given time. Can you ride to the trails from that brewery? That see, that's where we're <laughs> limited. Is no, oh <laughs> no, God. no. We are like, yeah, a good forty minutes to an hour drive. Okay, which is a bummer, but yeah, you know, what could be is. worse. Could be worse, yeah. but um, yeah, no, that's more like we can ride our bikes to that mm-hmm. from our house. That's as close as I can get. Nice. <laughs> Too right. That's so cool. That's what the uh, urban commuter is for, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got our commute bikes we ride down there. So yeah, uh, IPAs. And then, um, yeah, outside of that, I don't know. Cool. That's about it. Yeah. I've got a PNW components question for you. What's up? Out of the current range of products, what one item are you most proud of? Oh, Loam Lever. Loam Lever? Dude, that thing is... Re- I have one right here, guys. <laughs> so uh, no, it's... Uh, so we just released this, what? Two weeks ago, something, like, something that. like that. So, um, already sold out of our first shipment like, nice. immediately. So, people are excited, and that's without any reviews. So, I mean, that for me is uh, it means a lot. You know, that means that just aesthetically, like, a they trust the brand because of just our track record with droppers and what people are saying online, but also that the product looks um, up to par with the quality level that it actually is. Nice. So that's been huge. So, yeah, that was that was a big project. Our engineer completely kicked butt on that one cool um i'm very very proud of that one nice yeah that's, that's definitely a good addition to the line all right so yeah. give our listeners the 411 yeah. on what makes this thing cool i mean obviously pretty right we yeah got the, the yeah, it's, uh, it's, so, yeah it's pretty cool so it's <laughs> let me bust this thing out so all recyclable packaging everyone by that's the way. key here but yeah we've got uh i mean it's a killer dropper post lever this thing's super minimal uh it's lightweight but the big the big features are we wanted weatherproof you know we live in a pretty nasty area nine mm-hmm. months of the year, so needed something that we could actually ride on our own bike. So we went pretty big with the weatherproofing. Everything on here is stainless, uh, way oversized sealed bearing. And then we went a step further where we actually made this custom screw that holds the bearing in there, and it has a weather seal as well. So it's double sealed. So the no, no water is getting in here. You can literally point a pressure washer at it, not going to screw it up. So that's pretty cool. Oh, uh, that sounds like a challenge. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's super tight tolerances. So with that, you know, we do have a high defect rate on the production line where we have to throw a lot of these out, but that is what it is. We got to have a good product, right? So the other part is adjustability. It's got two forms of adjustment. So on the backside, you can actually move a little set screw that adjusts where the lever is at in conjunction with your bar. So you can have it more inboard or outboard. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, a little set screw like a derailleur almost. Cool. So you got that and then a two-point adjustment for where your clamp is. So basically you can move it fore aft uh, in and out depending nice. on where, where you want it set up in your cockpit. And then last thing that I think is awesome, aside from it being a really nice finish and everything, is this little rubberized pad. So it's made out of silicone, helps you in the mud. Uh, we actually did some testing here of slip grip, you know, when you know putting it in a sink and pouring some water over it and, and testing it versus just straight up alloy. But it's also comfy. I mean, it's a nice cushy pad. So that's pretty cool. Nice. No, no other levers have that. So that's uh, something unique that we can stand on. Dude, I've yeah, been I on think one. it's pretty cool too, because uh, I I remember back in the day, and this yep. is early Crank Brothers, like when they were yeah. kind of making the first splash of dropper post, yeah. uh, being legitimized, I should say, not the first dropper post, but kind of cracking the market. We were putting grip tape on ours to yep. to make it uh, grip a little more. However. The problem with that was, is it would wear through your gloves yeah. eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're like, yep. yeah, that's not awesome. Yeah, it's like too much grip. Yeah, it starts to rub through. Yeah, so the rubber, it's uh, that's no issue. It's more like a grip. 
Well, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Aaron actually sent me one of these levers, and I'm, uh, I've am i got it installed on my bike and getting ready to do uh, some riding and testing of it to see how it holds up to uh, you know, riding, weather, all that kind of stuff. But so far, my initial impressions are super high on this thing. Um, the machining is just stunning on how, how this lever turned out. It installs super easy. It's, um, it's got the clamping actually at, or the crimping of the cable at the lever. So, you know, it makes it compatible with basically every post that's out there that yeah. runs a cable. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, man, on first blush, this thing feels really good. I'm quite impressed. So I need to get it out on the trails. Unfortunately, this week I've been kind of just slammed and haven't gotten out, but I'm um, hoping to get out there pretty soon and start uh, you know, smashing it around, seeing what I can do. Well, don't skip yeah. out on riding tomorrow if it's raining, because that lever is going to be able to handle the rain. So. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe exactly. I need to just go. It encourages it. No, thank you, man. I'm glad to hear that. You know, the the interesting challenge was with this is we wanted to actually use suppliers that weren't just tied to the bike industry. An advantage to that is one issue they can run into is if you're using a huge factory, they're going to be dialed. Like, they're going to have a lot of really good quality control. They're going to have great processes. They know this stuff inside and out. The problem, though, is everyone from every big brand is mm -hmm. in those factories. And so you're all basically sharing each other's trade secrets. So if we used a traditional one, there's risk that a few months from now, some other big brand would have a lot of our cool, unique yeah. features. So this, you know, obviously anyone can get their hands on this. So it is what it is. But what's nice is we were able to kind of get outside of our normal supply chain Sweet. and makes really high quality stuff with these really, really kind of like boutique machine houses. How is um, it working with those guys? It's been great. So our engineer takes the lead on all that. Mm -hmm. And he's been living in Taiwan. He's an American guy, but he's lived in Taiwan for about 15 years now just doing this. Wow. So, I mean, he knows this stuff inside and out. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's very kind of like meticulously chosen which factories we're working with because every component of the of the lever is someone different. Like there's a CNC shop, there's a bearing place, there's the assembly there's a bolt manufacturer. All the bolts are custom made. Um, yeah, the silicone pad, all of these things are separate. The and so bolts he, are all custom made. Yeah. That's so we have to buy like 20,000 at a time okay. just to meet the minimum orders. Yeah. But because of the specs we had, we, we needed to. Because, you know, that, that's the other part is we didn't want to just, I don't know, you kind of cut corners on aesthetics just because it was readily available. Like we wanted this thing to look really good. Yeah. Um, which requires buying something custom sometimes nice. so yeah no i mean this is the real deal this thing is legit no it's yeah. it's real clean looking and i like the the color uh selection. Color pop. i went oh, yeah. with yeah. gray on gray obviously we were trying to um keep it a little bit on the easy to blend side with people's bikes totally. but there's all kinds of cool little colors for those pads so you can kind of match your style and everything which is rad so yes yeah. Yeah, yeah man it's clean cool uh, thank you man i'm excited to have it on my bike i'm a little sad that i'm gonna have to give it up at the end so i may have to buy one later on so. <laughs> yeah. no worries, dude. No worries. dude i was sad about the dv9 i gotta send that thing back like today or monday or something and i'm yep. like oh i'm just starting to really gel with this thing i feel your pain there seth <laughs> Well, hopefully that box packs up easy for you on the, the second time. I know it's easy to get our bikes out, but hopefully it's easy to put it back in. Ugh, so. And it's big worst. enough I can fit all of my old uh, <laughs> foam and inflatable inserts from Amazon. I can fit all that stuff in there, and my house will be clean for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Just the side benefit. Cool. 
so Aaron, I know yeah. you have um, a few key uh, writers that you guys support. Um, and obviously Jeff being one of them, we've yeah. heard a little bit of how you guys met and everything. But what's kind of the ethos behind the writers that you've chosen to work with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first, Jeff, thank you, man. Like, this has oh, been an awesome year. Like, hope we can keep things going. So no, that's cool. been that's been really good. And yeah, we talked about kind of how we got to meet. And it's obvious why we're working with them. So um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. so that's been good. But um Outside of that, so we have three other writers outside of, uh, of working with Jeff. So we have uh, Kyle Warner, uh, who's writing for Felt. And then we have some uh, some folks that are local as well. So we have uh, Austin Hemperley. So he's down in Bend. Okay. Rad local shredder. Like, guy's a madman. Um, nice. Show, <laughs> well, I've got a story about him. But And then there's uh, Damien Salerno as well. So he's okay. down in... Uh, down on the Oregon coast, cool. like a little bit Southern Oregon style. I follow him on Instagram. He's up to some cool stuff. Yeah, I just sick. followed him because of, <laughs> uh, so I posted my, you know, initial review photo thing and was like excited yep. to get into that. And he, I think you tagged him maybe, Aaron, but he, I went to go check out his stuff and I was like, good heavens, this dude is creative on a bike. Right? No, he's <laughs> super sick. Yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, he and Austin both are like the classic, uh, I don't know what you would even call it. It's not weekend warrior because they're riding every day. I mean, this is their this is their passion and their sport. Nice. But like they're uh, super creative. I'm hoping what we can do maybe is get everyone together and go ride together sometime. Because like they're what's cool about them is you know we look for obviously good people. Um, and what we need to work on, Emily's really uh, kind of taking lead on this. Like we need to get more women involved. Okay, there's just a huge void for that in the industry as a yeah. whole. Um, and we're going to be focusing on that in a big way. So any, any women riders that are, you know, PNW focused, please hit us up. Like we're, uh, we're really wanting to, uh, support the, the women riding scene and expand that in a big way. So, um, that's something big for 2019. Cool. But yeah. What we look for is, uh, you know, our, obviously good reputation or the good with people, uh, great riders, but really we want to find people that are outside of the standard mold of like what makes a good rider, right? Like, not just good race results or not just like squeaky clean, um, great on camera type of thing. But mm. like we want people who have creative lines who are doing creative things uh, in their community, but also with their social media outlet, you know, because that tends to get people stoked, gets you thinking like, could I try that? Like, could I go nice. foof a ledge on my mountain bike <laughs> or could I, wall, you know, could I tree ride or do something like that? So um, that's kind of what we look for. And, um, cool. we don't have a huge budget. That's part of how we keep our prices low. Like you're not going to see us, not that we have anything against it. We just don't believe in the traditional form of marketing where you spend a ton of money on like a world cup team and that's your form of marketing. You mean there's not a PNW box truck outside? There's not. No, there's a Subaru <laughs> Outback, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a close oh, compromise. So he's got the Pacific Northwest uniform then. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like the, the PNW, uh, Cadillac basically. So yeah, yep. that's, uh, that, that's kind of what we look for. I know that's somewhat ambiguous, but I think it, it, biggest thing is like, we want people who are kind of outside the mold and, nice. uh, and, uh, love writing. Cause it's fun. Not just cause it's like a career path. Yeah. That's another part. So with Kyle, like Kyle's been racing forever. He's I think four time national enduro champion mm -hmm. in the U S he's won races down in Mexico. Um, awesome dude. Like I knew him from Marin. So he was one of the team riders while I was at Marin. We became buddies and he was the first person I hit up when I started this. So, Sweet. um, yeah, he's been great awesome with his community, really talented rider, but also super creative on the bike. Um, and he's doing more and more stuff online too. So cool. that's been good. Yeah. Cool. I have a uh, two quick tech questions yeah. that I wanted to ask Aaron. So <laughs> Let's do it. I know Fox does the transfer in 185. <clears throat> I wanted to ask if we could possibly expect 
any longer drops than the 170 at any point in the future? Could we do like a, a survey? Because <laughs> I'll just leak it out. We have a 200 millimeter version dropper. Uh, I saw the final product while I was at the factory. It's done. Nice. My worry is, because, you know, we have to manage cash, right? So sure. like, do we bring in more 150s, 170s, or do we sacrifice some of those and bring in some 200s? Yeah. And then there's the added question of 34.9. So yeah. if you guys in the that comments... That was going to be my second part of my question is 34.9. So we, we're bringing in a 34.9. It'll be here okay. in December. Okay. Uh, it'll be in 150, 170s. So that helps with, you know, those of you on a Reckoning or a Stumpy or an Enduro, or I think some of the Niners have those, some mm -hmm. of the Surleys. There's more brands jumping on board. Um, we'll have that, but I'm curious about the 200. Like if you have a post that's over 500 millimeters long... Will that fit your bike? And are you interested in that? Because I'm happy to bring them in, but I need I, to know what you guys want. <laughs> looking across the shop in my Ritmo, I see like four inches of seat post hanging out below I think the 170. Good. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of trying the 200. Okay. Okay. Although it might hit the 29er at bottom out. Uh-oh, hold Ooh. the phones. Oh. Yeah, so um, yeah. MTBR actually um, played around with this. And if you guys know Francis, yeah. he's on yep. the shorter side as well. But uh, when I was talking to him about the Ritmo uh, prior to buying it, he was like, oh yeah, man, I totally can run a 200 on there. So it has been confirmed that it can go on there. Um, you know, it's gonna, the seat rub thing is a reality. Yeah, exactly. If, if you go through full compression and you have it in full bottom out. But uh, I think if I remember correctly, he even said that at that length, he had some exposed seat tube um, wow. from the post itself. Nice. Or, and so... I'm in. I want to try the 200. <laughs> okay. Like, I think yeah, that sounds yeah, I mean, awesome. Yeah, if you guys can leave in the comments, like, this is what I need to know. So this is very useful. What's your email address? Uh, yeah, or you can just email us direct. So just uh, hit us up at info at pnwcomponents.com, and we'll, uh, I, I field most of those, so I'll get back to you. Cool. But that would be rad. I'll um, send an email. Well, I cheers to Ivis for making a C-tube <laughs> that's straight. Uh, we, oh my God, we have so many channels. Like, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of bikes where the longer travel stuff, yeah, you get the little kink in the C-tube and you can't even run a 150. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing. Um, but there's more brands coming on board. And I think the more, any frame that's like come out as a new version recently should be fine for the yeah. most part. But there are a few where it's a challenge. Yeah. Anyway, good for Ibis. That's awesome. Sweet. <laughs> and I think this gives our, our listeners a bit of a view of, the challenge that manufacturers face, right? Like yeah. we want to obviously have products that are going to um, address riders' needs and kind of um, meet trends and stuff. But at the same time, there's this balance of, you know, the cost of bringing in items and having them. Yeah. yeah. If the trends aren't going to move that way, you know, Jeff and I have talked a lot about um, 29 and a little bit on the boost, super boost and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, which we haven't gotten too far. But it is this challenge of the bike industry to try to predict the trends that are going to come from various brands, as well as the pressures for trends from uh, the actual consumers themselves. Yeah. And so uh, is this something that's uh, been a challenge for you guys or, or do you have ways of dealing with this? So um, the, did you the, learn anything maybe in your past jobs that helped you predict this ahead? Oh, big time. Yeah. So here's the nice thing. So on the OEM side of things, so being a OEM being uh, basically a bicycle brand, um, you know, you're making decisions sometimes two years ahead. And so really the big ones are, I spent a lot of time, you know, especially, well, yeah, specialized in Marin going to shops internationally. Like I would go, you know, I've been to Colombia, I've been to Brazil, all over Europe, through Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, talking to shops, going to events, talking to riders, talking to distributors. 
that gives you some indication, but a lot of times those are decisions that are current. Like, oh, well, I wish that it had this spec. It's like, okay, that's, that's very good to know. But in terms of forward thinking trends, like are we going to adopt this new thing called Boost that none of us had heard of? But we overheard it in a vendor meeting in Taiwan, we're sitting there and someone starts talking about 148 and we're like, what is this? You know, this is back before Boost was even released. And then sure enough, we were able to get the info that, oh, well, you know, Cannondale's working on this new thing so that with a 29er wheel, you have a wider hub and the flange can be out and you get better spoke uh, angle so the rim's stronger and you can do shorter chain stays, blah, blah, blah. So we're like, kind of look at each other still like, really, you have to do that? But that was, that's how we first heard about it. And that's how this whole thing started. So that's kind of an interesting way that Taiwan really ties all this together. And things do leak through the industry. And that's just the reality of it. So Cannondale, you know, they got a big jump on it. Mm -hmm. But then we all were kind of reactively getting ahead of that one. That's not something you would have heard in a shop. Like, oh, I wish that your hub was six, inch, six millimeters <laughs> wider. Like, that's not. So you kind of have to balance that. And then the thing that really bugs me is like proprietary standards for parts. I get why bike brands do it, and sometimes those standards or those like changes become a global standard, but a lot of yeah. times it doesn't, and then you're stuck with a bike where the customer can't upgrade it, yeah. and that's not cool. Um, so that's always been a balance, too, because like if you were just to make a fully custom bike every time, you could accomplish some cool things, but you have these other components you need to put on there you have to can't forget about right i don't want to name any companies and bikes specifically there's, but I can there's think some of that have handful. done that yeah that are notorious for it so anyway you know that's improving a lot we'll, but we'll on keep the, our friends yeah yes. yeah so long story short on the aftermarket side like where i am now where i'm we're right in front working with customers directly um we're able to move a lot faster because yeah. we're not having to worry about placing a purchase order at a factory nine months ahead of when we need it and then starting that development a year and a half before that because that's a long yeah. lead time and it's hard to change things once, you know, you can't course correct as easy. But with aftermarket, it's like, like with the 200, for instance, like design's done, it didn't cost a lot to change that design. Sweet. The product will be the same price. So now it's a matter of do we do it or not? And do we manage that cash? Like, would it be better to buy more Lum levers or buy some more 200 millimeter posts? Like, that's kind of the balance <laughs> that I worry about now. So it's a different challenge, but it's not, it's not like the OEM one. That one's really challenging yeah. just because of how far ahead you are. If we have any possible investors listening, should they also email info at PNW Components? It's funny you bring that up. So uh, <laughs> we actually, I'm actually putting together, I've put together a three-year financial plan yeah. and we have a business plan put together. And yeah, we're actually ready to get some investment. to And grow the company a bit. Yeah, I mean, our, our issue now is we're growing so quickly that okay. every bit of profit that comes in the door goes immediately into buying more inventory. Sure. Which limits our ability to bring new products. Like totally. we have a pedal project that's pretty much done, but I need to buy it. And we need, uh, we have more levers, we have more droppers, we have more handlebars, we have lots of new products that are pretty much ready. But it's balancing the cash needs because we keep growing. We need money to market. The tax man's going to need his cut. Taxes then, need to yeah. be paid. Yeah. And then there's international expansion. You know, like New Zealand and Australia keep hitting us up. Oh. We have distributors there. But in order to get the product, you have to buy it first. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. So yeah, if there are any investors out there, we're, uh, we're ready to go. Nice. Yeah. We have everything already. It's just a matter of doing it. I think yeah. I got a hundred dollars I can spare. Dude, let's do it. We can crowd, crowdfund this thing. Yeah, <laughs> what is man. it called? Microfinancing? I like it. Okay. Exactly. It's called GoFundMe.com. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I was going to run a GoFundMe to get a 360 camera, and then I just realized that was way too much work to either do or to actually edit as well. So, yeah. You no. calculate like your, your hourly rate of what you would be, like your missed opportunity. You could probably just, <laughs> probably just wash someone out. You're like, eh, it's not worth doing the GoFundMe. But yeah. <laughs> 
That's how it goes. So anyway. So uh, obviously, uh, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily any secret, but you've released a few possible products that are on the horizon for us. Uh, So that's obviously kind of a cool thing. So listeners out there, you may be seeing some cool things coming. Uh, One of the products, though, that you have on your site and you're offering already is your aluminum bars. And, you know, carbon bars are kind of the hot thing, right? They're light, they have yep. some damping, et cetera, all that kind of stuff, but they're really expensive. And there are some challenges with carbon bars, yeah. but you have this aluminum bar that is actually pretty unique in the world of aluminum bars. You want to give us a little 411 on yeah. that? Yeah, it's called the range handlebar. So um, you're right, carbon is an interesting material. It has some great compliance stories to it. It can be very light. The challenge the industry as a whole is coming up with now is everyone wants wide bars. They want lightweight bars. That can hinder strength. So I've seen a few like sheared off bars and that that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at, at night. So as a small brand, not trying to get involved with that quite yet. Yeah. Um, but then we start looking around like, okay, aluminum, there's still a lot that can be done with aluminum. It kind of you think about like the late nineties, everyone was all in with aluminum, started to do some really cool technologies there with different alloys and heat treatment. And then carbon showed up and pretty much all R and D for alloys stopped. Mm -hmm. There's a few brands that are still like specialized, did a lot of research into it and they did some Mm -hmm. cool things recently. A few other brands too, like Cannondale, but, um, outside of that focus has been in R and D of carbon, right? So anyway, went to our factory, we're kind of talking to them about some, some ideas we had and they have, uh, an alloy that is 7075 alloy, so really high grade of mm-hmm. aluminum. Um, the issue with it in a handlebar is it can be pretty harsh, like okay. really stiff, but also very light. So we started looking at different heat treatment processes. So the whole thing with heat treatment is, A, it strengthens the bar because it heats up the, the mixes of, you know, alloy is a mix of different materials like zinc, magnesium, aluminum, all these different things. Um, and depending on how long and how high of a heat you use, it'll change the properties of the metal. So the standard one is T6, aluminum, uh, 6061 T6. That's like all day long. I've heard that my whole life. Works great. (laughs) Works great. No, that's like the Honda Civic of aluminum. It's awesome. (laughs) Like works very well. Everyone uses it. But we're looking at 7,000, so it's lighter. So anyway, we found a heat treatment process with our factory called T73. And what it does is it heats it up for a little bit longer. So if you're thinking of a curve of a graph uh, in terms of stiffness, it's going to peak here. We take it a little bit further so that some compliance starts to come back into the bar, but you're still getting the strength and you're still getting the lightness that you want. But that's going to cost more though. And it costs more. Yeah. But because of our business model and the relationship I have with this factory, um, we're able to pass the the bar on at 69 bucks. Yeah. And so this thing is, again, the real deal. It's just, we don't have the massive marketing budget to cram it down everyone's throat, but (laughs) this thing's 300 grams. Most carbon bars are like 270. So That's you're the getting, same weight. Yeah, it's basically the same weight. <laughs> Can't so, we just talk about weights in ounces and pounds? Yes. It makes it way more like feasible. I mean, yeah, like exactly. So we're basically there with a carbon bar, uh, technically a little heavier, but we're at a fraction of the cost. The other thing we did is we went with a 31.8 millimeter bar, uh, bar bore rather than 35. So everyone's loving the 35 because it looks cool with carbon bar. Totally makes sense because you need it for strength reasons, but with alloy, totally overkill. It just looks cool. Um, but oh my God, it makes for a harsh bar. So yeah, it definitely stiffens gives it things nice. up. And like you said, in carbon, that's a, a good effect. But in an aluminum bar, it's yeah, cool. it just kind of feels like you're getting beat beat up by your handlebar. Exactly. So the 318, you know, uh, brings some compliance back in there. The bar totally. rides well. Yeah. It's good. And it's 
it's affordable. I mean, it, it kind of marks all the all the check marks. So. And Jeff, you're running this, right? Oh yeah, I've got the range bar and all my bikes. I'm a big fan. It's cool. I cut them down a little bit. They come yep. super. Seven eighty. Yeah, yeah, they come wide. I usually cut them seven sixty five on the more aggro bikes and like seven forty five on a little bit shorter wheelbase bikes. I want to have feel a tad more front wheel movement yep. on. So yeah, I'm a big fan of them. They're comfy. So that's a good point. I think that's fascinating. Is everyone that I talk to is like, why isn't it eight hundred? Why isn't it eight hundred? And I'm like, that's a really wide bar, but. Uh, okay. That's like the regular thing where like people think they want to buy something, but yeah. in reality they should be on something else. So it's like, what do you do? If I, I'd probably just say sell the 800 mil bar just so you can stay in business and yeah. grow the company. Cause there's no one saying you can't cut an 800 no. down to seven. No, there's no issue with that at all. So. Yeah. So that's a nice thing, but you know, seven eighties right there. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of pro riders now are actually going much narrower. Like I was talking, so you do it as well. Uh, Kyle, I think is around the same width. Um, which is something we don't hear about too often. Dude, you know? I cut the bars on my Mojo tie, which is just underneath Seth right here. It's actually, yeah. my Mojo tie is holding Seth up. <laughs> <laughs> cut those bars down a ton and they feel yep. so, but like bike geometry, bike size, yep. rider size, all that plays into it. And the Mojo tie is a pretty steep head angle. It's probably like a 70 with a 90 mil stem. Yep. And the 720 bars I had on there were impossible to ride. So I went down to about 700 and that feels way better. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And like on a road bike, a longer stem all of a sudden slows your steering down and feels more aggressive. Whereas yeah. you'd think like a mountain bike background, shorter stem, more aggro. But it's yeah. like funny how the geometry can totally revert some of that stuff the Especially other way. Especially with these longer reach bikes now. Yeah. Um, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Where then you're just like, oh, fully yeah. stretched out with the wide bar. So yeah, anyway, interesting. interesting. Yeah, my magic point is somewhere around 760, 765. I'm currently on 800s, and it's fine in kind of the wide open spaces, but I will be cutting those down. I just haven't gotten the saw out yet to do it. Yeah, um, especially with trees, man. It's easy to bonk your hands, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and it, that was a funny thing. with I lived in the Midwest for the last four years because um, of my wife's job, and I had come from kind of the open lands of Southern California where there's hardly any trees, and you're railing these uh, kind of desert hills and stuff. And so, like, a wide bar didn't really matter out there because you could go as wide as you want and nothing was going to clip you. And then I moved to the Midwest, started riding trees, and immediately I was like clipping trees. I was oversteering yep. into things. <laughs> so I actually found that I, I found that kind of 760 point was um, my happy zone for being able to have the support I needed, uh, but able to get through trees and stuff like that. Totally. So totally. It's kind of my magic magic point. Yeah. Man, I noticed the bar with more when cornering and when throwing the bike around. And that when a bar is super wide, I can't corner it because I run out of no. arms. I'm not very tall. I'm 5'8", and my arms aren't very long, so I just I can't lean the bike over. So the narrower yeah. ones, I can move the bike more. And yeah, I was, even the tree thing around here in Bellingham, we don't have that many narrow trees. I was trying to shoot yep. a video for Ibis with their new bar. I was gonna, I'm not riding in that video or anything, but I was like, you know, I couldn't even make a riding video going through yep. narrow trees because even here in the woods, our woods aren't even that tight. So. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's a totally different type of forest. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, compared to the Midwest for sure. Um, yeah. I've got one last tech question for yeah. Aaron here, if that's okay, Seth. Yeah, so, go for it. I thought it'd be fun to ask, which of your competitors do you think is like a really, if you could say, what's your favorite competitor product out there, what would it be and why? Um, I'm loving the OneUp's uh, EDC tool. Is that what it is? That fits in the yes. steer tube? I think that's such a clever thing. And they, they really have done like a nice execution of it. I think that's definitely a cool product. Sweet. Um, 
Outside that, I always appreciate Fox. Like, okay. Their suspension components are rad. Um, I think they keep doing some nice stuff. Um, they do make a seat post, so that's a direct competitor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not a direct. Well, some no. following up. But yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all, I mean, if you were riding a, a BMW components dropper post, what dropper post would you ride? You know, we've <laughs> tested them all. I mean, yeah. we have to, right? We have to see what's There's going on. There's a lot on. of good ones um, out there, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I like what 1UP's doing with the travel adjust. That's yeah. super clever. Um, I think that's a cool one. The Fox transfer works great. Yeah. So, I mean, that one's a, that one's a go-to other thing. Nice with that is, you know, it has the Fox brand. So if you ever go to, yeah. you know, resell the bike, that's an easy one. Um, yeah, I think those two, cool. I, definitely some solid brands. I like those guys. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, one, I'm digging on that one up tool. Um, I use the pump version, uh, just cause I want to actually carry a pump. And so I don't use the, the stem one, but, uh, yeah, man, like I, I think one of the things that's pretty cool that's happening now in the industry more than I feel like I've experienced in the past is I feel like small brands, um, including P and W and stuff are coming up with innovative solutions to, uh, products that that the bigger brands just in a sense are just overlooking because they have to almost right they they're to. so focused yeah. on being this big brand uh that they they can't look at the small things so i look at like mrp with yep. like the boostinator and one up with the the um edc tool and um you guys actually have your range stem has a gopro mount yep. on yeah. the faceplate or like which i have like thought about this for years and was like oh it'd be so cool if someone made it so yeah. there you go Thank you, you guys man. made it yeah so yeah. i think it's really cool to see these smaller brands who have a little more flexibility in the products that they produce and everything um coming up with things that actually are innovating in the space right it's definitely a cool thing. Yeah, the, you know, I think you nailed it. It's it's kind of the bigger brands kind of have to overlook these things because for us, like a few thousand of something is fantastic. Like we crushed it, but for them, that's <laughs> literally nothing. Like they're okay. selling hundreds. Like if the minimum goal for a, a new component for a big brand is a few hundred thousand, yeah, I mean, we're no, like that's, yeah. that's not even on our scope. Whole different reality. So they won't even look into it. They're like, no, it's a waste of time. But for us, like we could, or, or you know, the EDC tool is a great example. Like they're selling a ton of those things. Um, and it's because <laughs> they narrowed in on something that benefits riders and they were able to invest in the, you know, the time and the technology to do it. Um, and they're carving out a really good part of the market for themselves. It's like the whole so business cool. model of problem solvers. I mean, yep. find really cool, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. unique things and then just push on those. Yeah. Well, I mean, an example within our, within our, our house is our 27.2 droppers. Like I almost didn't bring those in. You know, you're asking what I'm most proud of. You ask for one product, Lum Levers. Second is our 27.2 droppers, cool. man. Like the cool thing about those is the market is so diverse. Yeah. It's everyone from like elite level cross country racer who's got a specialized Epic that they want to dropper on to a steel hardtail person or, you know, tie old school tie bike or whatever <laughs> um, to gravel grinders to cyclocross. Like we're now crossing across everything, but the one common thread is everyone mountain bikes. And this may be their second or third bike in their steed and they want to pick it up um, or in their stable, not their steed. Uh, so that's a cool thing. And we sell, that's our second top selling product is 272. Cool. So that one's been very cool for us. Nice. Yeah. So the, it, I almost, I don't have any 272, uh, bikes left, but it does actually bring up because my old cyclocross bike was 272 yep. Yep. is having a dropper post on your gravel or cyclocross bike as awesome as it looks. Cause yep. I've been wrestling with the fact that I've got a, a nice, but very aggressive gravel bike. And I mean, aggressive in that, like I could jump this thing and it's going to hold up. No problem. There you go. 
Um, but I have not made the jump to uh, a dropper post on there primarily just out of weight, right? Like, cause I do use this as yep. a road bike also, but is it worth it to, to throw a dropper on there? Yeah. Like, so tempted just to distinguish the, and, and call it the elephant in the rim. So world cup cyclocross riders, I don't think they're going to be using droppers anytime soon yeah. if ever. Cause it, like, what's the benefit, right? Like they're not riding typically super, I, I just don't see the benefit and weight is such an issue for that elite level. But everything else, oh my God, it's fun, dude. Because like you just came in on, like gravel bikes nowadays are burlier. You can ride them off-road. You can ride them on single track if you wanted. You can do double track, whatever. Um, having a dropper is huge, and it has other benefits outside of just getting out of the way on downhills. The other nice one is if your bike is totally uh, loaded up with bags and you're tired and yeah. you go to stop, if you have the seat down and you go to put your foot down, way easier to get off the bike <laughs> than to kind of have your legs falling apart and then you have this heavy bike and the thing or topples over light. or at a stoplight. Yeah. That's another one is we have some commuters putting them on their bikes. Sweet. Whole new whole new opportunity we're not <laughs> expecting, but that's something that we're actually looking into for 2019. Nice. Um, so it, it, I don't know. That gets me excited because we're all about just trying to get people on their bike riding and yeah. having fun, and that's a totally... Not something I would have expected would have happened, but here it is, and we're right in it. So it's pretty Sweet. cool. Yeah. And you guys have a pretty unique uh, lever integration for that too, where it yeah. actually is kind of in the vertical position of the drop bar itself. Yep. So it, I haven't put one of these on yet, but it does look like you could basically reach that lever from either hand position, either on the hoods or down in the drops. Yeah. Yeah. It actually yeah it fits right in the drops. The clamps. Uh, well, 23.8 millimeters, so 24 millimeter essentially, because um, the diameter of the drop is a little bit larger. Um, so yeah, it fits in there. And other than that, it's our standard cascade lever or, or pine lever. Um, and then you actually, we, we include some really flexible uh, housing. So you wrap that under your bar tape. Okay. And then you connect it with a little ferrule to standard housing to the post. Oh. It's rad. Cool. Yeah. We've been selling a lot of those lately. How long before we get you doing a new Haka crazy send it video with a dropper post on it? Man. Damien's working on it. And <laughs> cool. Jeff, if you want to get in on cool. it, dude, we'd love it. Yeah, Damien's, uh, he got one built up and uh, he's just, yeah, he got like a trail built and everything for this. So it Way should be cool. cool. Yeah. I had the chance to go work with a, a dealer of Ibis actually who moves a lot of their gravel bikes. They wanted to do some in-house content, and I just haven't had a chance to make it happen. But we were going to look at doing some gravel stuff on a gravel bike, and I don't actually own a drop bar bike anymore. Yeah, <laughs> they're uh, yeah. I've gotten to the V at that point in my life. Did you ever see the video of Mike Montgomery? Oh, back or three sixtying or backflipping? He did, I think he did both. Yeah, that was gnarly. That was really sketchy. Yeah, yeah. That was, on dirt jumps. I, I think the three sixty is way gnarlier than the backflip. Yeah, backflip like at least you're keeping a consistent line, and for a guy like him, those yeah. are second nature. But three sixty, dude, because that wheel could taco very easily. It, yeah, and your contact <laughs> patch when you're landing, you've got to be nothing. so dialed with your three. Your air awareness has to be real good. Those nuts. Yeah, and I that was on a crux, I think. Okay. Cyclo anyway, cyclocross bike or tricross. Anyway, something. I haven't even ridden a drop bar bike since that Cali <laughs> Tava helmet video in 2015. So. Wow. <laughs> All right. Been off of it three years. Still dream about that video though. So <laughs> it's affecting, man. You need to get back out on one just just to keep us inspired. That was that was fun, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, as far as like um, you know, we, we talked about your products. What you think are kind of the um 
the ones you're most proud of or whatever. Jeff and I have been talking about uh, what, what we think is what we're calling the top tech. And it's this idea of products that have literally transformed the bike as we know it uh, in modern day, right? And so for me, like Dropper Post was the one. If yeah. you had a product, uh, and it doesn't just have to be yours, but um, products out there, what do you think is one of the most transformative products yeah, that I mean, came through the, the bike industry? Dropper by far, but that one's that one's you. So I I, uh, I do find the benefit of one by pretty compelling. Cool. Because um, I was riding one by ten before that was going on. Oh yeah. And it sucked, you know, because you got like a. It 30, sucked. It didn't suck. With a thirty-four cassette in the back, like it's kind of brutal climbing on that. You just gotta stand up. Yeah. No, you do. They were stronger yeah. and better looking. No, it, it got me in great shape, and you just kind of forced it. And I, mm -hmm. God, I haven't run a front derailleur since I was a kid. Yeah, like, me I, too. I jumped right into one by. And so having the wide range, I think that's pretty cool. Now Shimano's got the 1051 XTR, something like that I saw. So that's up there with, you know, SRAM's already doing something similar. Yeah. So now we have, anyway, point being you have two brands that are the leaders in that. Both have options now. That's pretty cool. So I'm excited about that. It reduces the weight of the bikes and cool. it's much simpler setup. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Uh, outside of that, you know, it's, I think about this a lot. The industry from a technology standpoint has been iterative for a long time now. Like there weren't, there haven't been huge technological jumps like a, you know, um, carbon frame or full suspension or something like that. Like we've, if you look at a rear shock 10 years ago versus now way better. Yeah. But it very kind of iteratively got there. Yeah. But yeah, like a dropper, a one by like, that's pretty substantial or even brakes like brakes are similar to what they've been for, I don't know, eight years or now. I mean, they yeah, work the much better. Yeah, the Shimano's are pretty consistent. In the, yeah, I think you're out in the brakes. Yeah. I'd say the wide carbon rims that don't just rattle you to death and that don't just break right That's away cool. have definitely improved, That's too. definitely been a game changer. Yeah, that one's been that one's been fun to watch. Um, yeah, what else? What Geometry else have you guys been out there? Been, Geos is huge. Yeah. That one's been, and that's been, what, last... I guess four years now, we've been really cranking into that hard. Something like of that. Of like short chain stays, longer reach, trying to fit. It's fun to watch now that I'm not in it because it's it's brutal when you're in there and you make the wrong call. <laughs> but now that I'm just from yeah. the outside seeing it, it's cool seeing how we've been shifting, like where is the optimal position in the bike in conjunction with the bottom bracket? That's cool to watch. Because now that everyone wants shorter chain stays, make the bike more snappy, you also don't want to be looping out on climbs yeah. and you don't want your tire hitting the frame and all this stuff. So, and then... With a dropper, you want a more steep seat tube. So there's a lot of things that you're shifting around, but the reach getting longer makes sense and it works really well. So that's cool to see. Because yeah, when those bikes first came out, reach kind of stayed somewhat consistent, but chain stays got shorter. And then you just end up on this tiny little bike. So we had like a season or two of those. Gotcha. I'm glad those got flushed out. <laughs> <laughs> now we're now we're back to what makes sense. At so. your six foot two stature. Oh, dude, no good. No good. No good. So yeah, no, that's been fun to watch. Yeah, I think Geo's and then, um, I don't know, yeah, the wide rim, wide tire, optimized tire for wide yeah. rims has been very cool. Sweet. That's such a subtle one. I didn't, I was kind of expecting that to be kind of a gimmick, but you get so much more grip. Yeah, it's with cool. the wider rims. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that one's been, that one's been good too. I don't know, I'm ex I feel like, with suspension design, we're right on the brink of something huge coming. Oh, man. <laughs> like long travel, climbable, and lightweight. Those are mm -hmm. kind of the three you want to hit. So I think we're close. We'll see. Yeah. Now, Jeff and I maybe have differing views on uh, things like Fox Live. Um, Where are you at on that? <laughs> uh, you know, I land on the 
I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to be that guy, but I'm glad that that is being looked into because I'm with you. I kind of feel like suspension for the most part is like you said, it's iterative, iterative. It's just kind of uh, gradually increased in performance, but we are, I think at a precipice of changing how suspension functions. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely like a purist, right? Like I come from a surfing and skateboarding background and, you know, motors and chains and all that kind of stuff has never been part of my ethos. But there is something to this where, you know, like, are we going to be able to stop technology? Probably not. So how can we use it so that it makes the simplicity of riding even more, in a sense, pure, right? Like, and I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's kind of where I lean. I think Jeff is more on the, uh, yeah, man, I'm not so sure I want anything electronic on my bike. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> oh, man. I could be reading it. I'll this, ask you guys so. both this question. Would you rather have electronic suspension or a linkage fork? Um. I'll go with the electronic. They're so shifting. ugly, but uh, <laughs> I didn't say shifting. I said suspension. suspension. Sorry, sorry, suspension, suspension. I think I'll go with suspension. I see the value if it's done well. Like there's cars, Formula One, for instance, they use electromagnetic okay. damping that's reactive immediately. So okay. it can be done. I know a car is much different than a bike, but still, like the technology's out there. Um, but the, I mean, it's cost prohibitive. I'm not spending <laughs> however much that thing is, and it, and it's bike specific. So. It's just the first start, so we'll yeah. get there at some point. What's up with I'm, this? I'm just glad forward? somebody's uh, in deep, right? Like yeah. somebody's researching, yeah. and I'm sure there's more than just Fox. You know, uh, SRAM has had stuff yeah, uh, I can only leaked see. here and there and whatever. And so I'm sure there's quite a bit being looked into. But, um, you know, like even things like the Shockwiz that came out. I want to try that thing. That looks cool. I know. I'm about to order Dude, one. Dude, so I'm using it right now, and it's fantastic. Really? Because I'm actually pretty decent at tuning forks and rear suspension. And like, I still, you know, if you're not riding the same track over and over and over and over, sometimes it can be hard to dial it in just right. And so I threw the shockwaves on and turns out I I had like a couple clicks here or a slight air pressure change here. Mm. And it was just stuff that it would have taken me a ton of rides to do, whereas I could kind of do it in one very diverse ride, you know? Yeah. I have a question for you on the shockwaves. Is it... So it says like, this is your perfect setting. You are this far off. Are you able to tell it that you want perfect setting or that you want to lower your bottom bracket feel by 5% and you want to raise your bottom bracket feel that you want the bike to have more progression than it nat- natively has? Like when it determines yes. the perfect so setting, can you change There's that? There's like settings you okay. can do for like more playful or, oh, cool. um, you know, more, uh, performance or whatever. And then you can also, um, you know, it gives you a spectrum to uh, tell you kind of where your rebound, your compression, um, your spring rate, all those kind of things are. And so you don't have to like get exactly how it wants. So if you have a desire for a style of writing, you can actually verify that like, oh yeah, it does look like my rebounds a little bit quicker than kind of the the dead middle or whatever. Mm, So I find it really fun and I don't use it a lot, but man, it's great to like knock it out on my fork, knock it out on my rear suspension, write down all my, uh, settings and stuff. And that way, if I ever, 
let somebody else ride my bike and they adjust things, you know, I'm not all worried. Like, Oh, I'm never going to get this back. You know, I just go back <laughs> Don't in, touch anything. The air pressure yeah. and put things back. <laughs> I know the feeling. I remember seeing a drunk friend walk over to Brian Lopes race bike at Mammoth in 2004 and just start turning every knob. You could oh get his hands on. <laughs> <laughs> Brian was not impressed. And no. I think he, no. I think he won. No. I don't remember. This is a long time ago, but you helped him out. <laughs> That's crazy. Yep. Um, so with that, I think um, one quick question, maybe before we, we dip out here, is are there any products in the mountain bike space that you think have actually been a giant flop? Oh. Like that just were unimpressive. And don't say all your competitors. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm kidding. You went to Man, uh, a flop, huh? Yeah. And it could be a product type. So you, it doesn't even have to be a specific thing. Can I give an example of a product I released that was a flop? How sure. That? that would be terrific. Okay. So saw kids riding their bikes to school. Okay. So just, that's the larger realm here. So how do you create a bike that isn't like a dork? You know, these are like kids in there going into middle school, right? Like okay. very so socially awkward. conscious. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> very awkward, but also not wanting to be awkward. Um, so options basically at this time were like kids bike that looked like mom and dad's bike, which we were kind of keying in on like, well, this is when kids start to kind of evolve into their own person and mom and dad are embarrassing and they don't want the dorky cross country bike. They want a BMX bike and the parents saying, no, you don't get a BMX bike because that's not practical. Yeah. Like that is not, we have hills that we need you to go up and you need gears. And you're going to come home with tattoos and piercings one day. Yeah. Next thing you know, <laughs> you've got a Slayer shirt on and we, you know, we just don't want that. So it's, uh, so that was kind of the, the two things These were kids balancing. Sound cool. Yeah. But I look cool. Um, so kind of balancing the two of like X games aspirations, but mom and dad constraints. Right. So I thought of like, okay, what if we do a bike that is very similar to one of our existing mountain bikes, but it's got kind of the more skate culture look to it. It's like flat black paint with like neon colors to it. It has kind of like, it's got the short stem. So it's kind of dirt jumpy wide handlebar. It's got a dirt jump seat on it. Uh, semi-slick tires for like riding the skate park, you know, that style. Single chain ring. Single chain ring up front nice. with a wide range in the back. But this would be a bike that's affordable, you know. It's like anywhere from, I think, five to $800 That bike. sounds like freakishly similar to the DB9 that's sitting over there. Yeah, but this thing's like full on, you know, mountain bike. Oh, like this yeah, is yeah. A it's rad, the next big brother or something like that. Exactly, sure, sure, yeah. Sure. So this was like, you know, anyway, th so that was the idea. Went out to the shop. They're like, eh, I don't know if we really get it. But, we, you know, we have... I've had that feedback before. Yeah. Like, that's fine. That's sometimes a good sign, sometimes not. In yeah. this case, it wasn't. <laughs> so anyway, I think it's released. Did not do well. Oh, no. So um, lesson learned on that one was uh, we needed to validate it more with both kids and parents. Okay. Not just, like, the shop. Um, and also, it needed to not just use an existing frame we had. Like, it needed to be purpose-built. So that was, uh, that, was a, that was a pretty big flop. Um, so lesson learned on that one. But, you know, there's other, yeah. other successes to balance it out. So that was interesting. But outside of that, I don't know. I can't think. There's, there's a lot of products out there um, that are, uh, that come and go pretty quick. I'm trying to think of one from like back in the day, that was interesting. But anyway, that's my one example. What about you guys? Oh man, um, well I'm with you on like proprietary, just about it. Yeah, it's about. Right? It. Like, <laughs> I I've seen enough of that. Um, I used to run the shop for Jensen down in Southern California, and. Uh, Man, we'd get guys coming in with like specialized triple crown forks, yeah. double crown forks with, you know, Easy. random axle sizes that you couldn't find anywhere. And they're like, so I'm just supposed to throw this this fork away? Yes. And I'm like, 
I don't know what to tell you, man. Like I can't find this part yeah. anywhere. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely on that. Um, you know, for me, like kind of the plus tire movement is one of those things where I think it, it benefited the industry um, and bike direction ultimately. But I think uh, I often talk about things going too far one way. So kind of our handlebar discussion, right? They go too far one way and then they swing back. I kind of feel this way about plus bikes for, for like legit trail riding all mountain, right? It all kind of swung over there. And now we're back at this like two, five, two, six thing, which I think is awesome. I love my two fives and two, six tires. Um, but I feel like things kind of went a little too far on that side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least for trail riders, you know, if you're out there doing bike packing and stuff, sweet, man, totally like plus tires all day long. But for trail riders, um, I think it was a challenge, but what it did help, I think is to bring wider rims and wider tires that actually have reasonable weights. Cause back in the day, a two, six tire would just weigh, no. you know, thousands and thousands not of grams. Yeah. So. 1500 grams. Yeah. yeah, not, yeah. not happening. Yeah. 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 So no, it makes sense. You know, it, it, yeah. Classic like trickle down, right. It's like we, we chose what we wanted from that and made it actually reasonable and, um, we'll see. I, I don't know where that one is going. Like you said, I think it has a lot of applications with packing. Like I saw mm -hmm. the new Marin, um, Marin's got a new bike out that, that is plus size. It was one that I helped develop. It's called the pine mountain steel hardtail. Sweet. Sick bike. Um, Didn't Joe Murray have a hand in that one too? Um, yeah, I leaned on him for some geo help with that cool. one. Cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Joe's been a great help with that. So um, that one was cool because it's kind of perfect for that. It's not an aggressive hardtail. It's for cruising around and plus size makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, you're not going to be pinning that at Whistler. Like that's, you'll roll the, you'll roll the tire right off. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not happening. So anyway. Man, I rode a Surly ice cream truck, which is a fat bike, yep. with a Bluto fork. And this is like totally not sponsor yeah. correct. I ride Ibis, I ride Fox, yada, yada, yada. But they'd put WTB uh, Trail Boss 3.0 27.5 tires on there. Mm. And the thing was so much fun. Yeah, I had I no idea. I had That's a blast awesome. on that bike. It was killer. That's awesome. And like it was fine for the day there. But if I live someplace rockier than Bellingham here, yeah. like if I was in St. George, if I was in Moab or whatever... If I was riding a place way rockier, probably in the in the greater desert area, I know like down by Jensen, the rocks are pretty smooth, but like get out towards Las Vegas where they're harsher. Yeah. I think that would be a rad setup. So I think that's one of those things where the regionality matters yep. a lot more than like up here in the Northwest, two threes work so well. It's hard to yep. get much bigger than that. I'm trying out some two sixes right now and I like them, but I need to get more time on them and dial them in. I still like my two threes and my 29 or two. So yeah, 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 totally. I don't know. Yeah, horses know. for courses, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, we've yeah. been going on for a little while. I should probably wrap this thing up. Um, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate it. Yeah, Big thank thanks to Aaron for coming up here. Thank you both for inviting me. And yeah, thanks for everyone for listening. Appreciate it. Awesome. It. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, actually, before we sign off, Aaron is uh, stoking our customers out today. Yes. Uh, so if you are listening to this and you are interested in picking up some PNW components, you actually can enter a code at checkout on Jensen USA. And are we offering this on PNW components? Yeah, this is on PNW too? components as well. All right. Yeah. So you can go to either place. Uh, we've got a good selection of dropper posts. They've got their bars and stems on their site. Uh, so you can head to either one and it's going to be the code podcast 15. Pretty easy. And that's going to be one five podcast one five. How big is the discount? Right. That'll earn you. So that is 15%. Nice. And we, we offer free, free shipping. For and the discount. Yes. So. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Cool. Cool. Yep. 
Sweet. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Be sure to listen to our past episodes on SoundCloud, Google Play, and the big one, iTunes. Yeah. If you haven't heard us discuss your favorite topic, shoot us an email, podcast at JensenUSA.com. And be sure to follow JensenUSA's Instagram and Facebook and YouTube pages. Absolutely. And as always, we're going to shout out to Jeff's channels himself. Uh, He's got his Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channels that are all killing it. And if you're actually looking for some unique content that's going to be focused on how to ride like Jeff Kendall Weed, uh, subscribe to his Patreon account. That's going to help him directly when you subscribe to that. Uh, It is a donation thing, and you get something out of it. So you'll have these fresh videos where he teaches you how to do manuals for a mile and how to like (laughs) do nose wheelies through corners and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to be joining myself because I can't do any of those things. (laughs) So I'm going to be on his Patreon here shortly. But check it out, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode, enjoyed getting to know Aaron from PNW. Check out their products. Uh, tons of cool stuff. So uh, we'll be back next week with the, or probably two weeks from now, with our second episode of Top Tech with Jeff. Yeah. And we'll be going through that. But that pretty much wraps things up for us. So as always, remember to keep pedaling. You. See you guys. Thanks, guys. See you. Cool. Good work, Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Stop my uh, audio recording.